Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have someone who had no idea what a huge fan I was of their company. We have Daryl Burchard. He is not only passionate about healthy living, he grew up in an incredible family mineral business in Utah, Redmond, Utah, and thus became Redmond Real Salt, Redmond Salt, which is something I use every day. We, um, you know, most people in the paleo industry are using it. My other co-host for my other podcast, Tara Garrison, is always posting it as well because it is the best salt out there that I have found. And um, so I'm so happy to talk to you about your company, the history, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Al. Glad to be on your program today. So what were you raised in a salt mine? I mean, <laughs> you know, we joke about that. You know, when my dad said, if you don't straighten up, he's going to send me to the salt mine. He wasn't kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's going to wash your mouth out with salt. Is that what happened in your family? Or <laughs> No, we still got the soap in the mouth when we said curse words, but uh, we did have a, a great childhood. It's a beautiful rural area, peaks and uh, mountains on both sides of this beautiful valley. And in the center of this valley, there happens to be a couple of great minerals. One of those is this ancient seabed, which is the remnants of a 150 million year old Jurassic era salt deposit. And the other is a volcanic ash based clay that is a really fun product for your facials and for, you know, poultices and all kinds of things. So yeah, I just grew up in this beautiful little valley. Uh, the town is called Red Mound because, or Red Mund, because there's three red mounds behind town. And right uh, north of the town is this uh, salt deposit and clay deposit that we get to talk about today. Tell us what's unique and different about this particular salt. So salt means a lot of things to a lot of different people. And when we say salt in chemistry, we're really talking about a acid and a base that are bound together. So a salt might be a magnesium sulfate or a uh, potassium chloride, or there's a lot of different salts. The salt that most people think about when we talk about salt is food salt, which is sodium and chloride. And so today, salts can come from all sorts of places for your kitchen table. It might come from a current ocean, like the San Francisco Bay, the Gulf of Mexico, the Sea of Japan. It might come from a dead sea, like the Dead Sea in Israel or the Dead Sea here in Utah called the Great Salt Lake. Or it might come from an ancient seabed, a seabed that was laid down eons ago. And it might be in Pakistan, where the Himalayan salt, the pink Himalayan salt comes from, or it might be in Bolivia, and there's a beautiful Bolivian rose pink salt, or it might be in Utah, and that's where the salt that we'll talk about today comes from, which is an ancient seabed that geologists called the Sundance Sea that is now pushed up near this little town of Redmond, Utah, where the real salt brand comes from. That's Amazing. Um, tell us to, you know, I had learned from a salt author. <laughs> um, actually, maybe that was the very first, uh, other than meeting Julie from your company at one of the conventions where I tried your salt. But uh, I think he suggested it to me because he was talking about 
Himalayan being inconsistent in certain things and certain levels uh, of certain nutrients. I forget actually which ones he was talking about, but, you know, uh, we chatted briefly before this. Um, let's talk about the importance of salt. So many people have, uh, they're worried about salt. They're told not to have salt because their blood pressure, which is not the case. They're just eating the, they're, they're just consuming the really crappy salt. Um, and, you know, it's funny because my stepfather's Danish. He comes from an Island off Denmark. And of course they, they grew up eating, you know, pasture raised, pretty much everything plus, you know, natural sea salt. And then he moves to America and he's like putting regular salt on stuff. And we're like, that's not the same salt. <laughs> like you're going to screw yourself up. You need to go back to, you know, uh, the real, the real stuff. Tell us why it's important, why there's a difference there. Well, salt is such an interesting topic for that very reason, because if we go back before the invention of the refrigerator, all of us would have eaten more salt because outside of season, anything you eat has to be preserved. And before the refrigerator, the main way to do that was with salt. And so our meats out of season would have been preserved with salt and dried with like, uh, jerkies and preserved fish and our our vegetables that we ate out of season were preserved through sauerkrauts and kimchi and fermented veggies and so salt has always been an essential part of life in fact it was so important almost all early civilizations started around access to salt deposits because you need it for food preservation you need it for human health you need it for animal health and because of that it was actually traded or used as salary. So the Roman soldiers were sometimes paid in salt. And so the term salary is based on salt and saline and you were paid in salt. And there's this old saying that goes, is a man worth his salt? That comes from being paid in salt. And if you weren't earning your keep, you weren't worth your salt. And so salt has well, always been essential. Who knew? That's amazing. Well, and so then you ask the next question. So if it was so essential and it was written about in every history book, almost every religious text talks about the importance of salt. And then today we hear salt's bad. Well, there was a study that was written years ago, and the study was called Evidence for Relationship Between Sodium Intake and Human Essential Hypertension by a Dr. L.K. Dow and R.A. Love, who were both MDs. And in this study, they took mice or rats, I believe, and fed them copious amounts of salt. And they noticed if they did that, the mice had problems. But there was a couple of problems with that study. One, the amounts they were feeding were just insane, way higher than anybody would ever consume. And the other part is they were feeding them processed salts, which we can talk a little bit about here in a second. But at the end of the day, salt is essential for life. If we went to the hospital today, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to give us an IV of saline solution, which is salt water. In fact, an IV of anything but salt water would be deadly. If they, they gave you an IV of coffee, as much as that might sound good first thing in the morning, it would kill you. <laughs> um, we have to have saline solution, and our bodies are literally saline solution in motion. And because it's so important, when our salt levels drop, we get headaches, we get ornery, we get, you know, we get irritability. Um, we get tired, we get nauseous, and eventually that can lead to death. And because of that, salt is given intravenously in every hospital in the world. So salt isn't the problem. The form of the salt, the poor quality foods that salt is attached to, and, and then all the other junk in our diet is, is a lot more problematic than the salt that gives us life. 
Let's talk about or tell us the differences between like sea salt or pink salt, red salt, black salts. You know, Hawaii has like like black salts, you know, and red salts. And then you've got, right, the Himalayas and you've got the Celtic sea salts. What are really the major differences, if any? Great question. So there are some fun differences even among natural salts. And so obviously I'm a little biased to Redmond, but there's, there's some other really good salts out there. And so when we're looking at salt specifically, we need to back up and ask a couple of questions. The first is know the source. And so in salt, say it can come from a current ocean, like San Francisco Bay, Gulf of Mexico, Sea of Japan, or it can come from an ancient seabed, a seabed that was laid down you know, eons ago. One of the challenges, unfortunately, we humans haven't been the best stewards of this planet that we call Earth. And so we have problems in our oceans today, like Exxon Valdez from years ago. There's the BP spill that people are more familiar with. And things like the Japan disaster where we've got, and then we make matters worse. We dump all kinds of plastics and microbeads and pharmaceuticals into our drains that all end up in the ocean. So unfortunately today, our oceans aren't clean as they were eons ago. And depending on where you are harvesting the salt from the ocean, that may or may not be a, a concern. And so and then you've also got these ancient seabeds. And so those are your real two main sources. But at that point, there's a couple of things that can happen to the salt product. One, traceability today in the salt market becomes a bit of an issue. Because if you walk into a grocery store and grab any canister of salt, knowing exactly where that came from is a little, it's a little bit difficult. Um, it's not like walking down to your farmer's market and you know, getting some great quality eggs and being able to you know, look the farmer in the eye and say, hey, are these chickens free range? Are they, you know, how are we feeding them? I mean, those are all good questions that a lot of consumers today want to ask and find out. And with salt, that is increasingly difficult because of the way salt is processed and changed hands and commingled. And so once you can find the source, where is it coming from? And then you can find the next question is, is who's producing it? Because then you can find out what are they doing to it? And salt today, if it comes the way salt's always been created, like, you know, back um, when our, our great-great-grandparents harvested salt, the salt might have come out of the Mediterranean and they would have taken the seawater out of the Mediterranean and, and, and evaporated that, usually in a clay-lined pond. And that salt, as it evaporates and, and falls out onto the bottom of that clay-lined pond, you get a lovely gray-colored salt. So the French gray salt, a lot of people are familiar with, is done that old-fashioned way where they bring the salt off the Mediterranean or maybe off the coast of Brittany, France. They dissolve or they evaporate the water, and then you're left with the beautiful salt crystals that are also then colored a little bit from that clay-lined pond, and that gives you some great flavor. And the salt crystals will all look different. You know, salt in nature should look more like a snowflake. It should look very different from each crystal. If you go to your kitchen cupboard and pour out your salt on your hand and the, the crystals all look manufactured and exactly the same, um, you might want to find a different salt. And yeah. so the, the Hawaiian salt is produced very similar to the French gray salt. It's just they use a red clay-lined pond instead of a gray clay-lined pond. And so the, the salt has a lovely red, dusty color, has a fun, dusty flavor. There's black salt that's popular today. You can do that two ways. You can use a processed salt. And then as you're dissolving it, you add activated charcoal, which is often how a lot of the black salts today are produced. Or you can line that pond with that activated charcoal as well and, and produce the salt more naturally, but with 
deactivated charcoal in the water that gives the salt the black color. So there's a lot of different ways you can produce salt. There's two things that can go wrong though. So around the turn of the century, salt companies realized that seawater occurs as a complex chloride. So in our oceans, we have sodium and chloride, which is our bodies are based in sodium and chloride. But we also have in the oceans trace amounts of potassium chloride, magnesium chloride, calcium chloride, iodine. There's a lot of other minerals, over 50 of them, that occur in the oceans in, in trace amounts. And one of the reasons that seafood and seaweed is rich in iodine, it's actually some of the highest foods in iodine, is because it's in the oceans where there's iodine in the oceans. Um, and then salt companies realized around the turn of the century that they could use a little bit different process. So instead of taking the seawater out of the Mediterranean or the Gulf of Mexico or wherever, bringing it into a pond and letting it all settle out together with a, a clay-lined pond, they could put a different membrane in that first settling pond and they could leach off the calcium chloride. Then they can move it to the next pond and pull out the potassium chloride. They can move it to the next pond and pull out the, the calcium and so through a series of evaporation ponds, they could start to manipulate and, and leach out some of these other minerals and elements that occur in, in the ocean. And as you know, you know, micronutrients are really important in all of our foods. And yet a lot of salt today has been, at least to some degree, these other complex chlorides have been leached out. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned iodine. We and it's 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 obviously essential. It's essential for thyroid health. Um, and you know, I talk about in my book, how, you know, a lot of people in the Midwest had thyroid problems back in the day because they, and they call it the goiter belt. People started to get goiters and enlarged thyroids. So that's when they started to really, uh, like iodized salt, but that's not, that's not really the best source, is it? <laughs> you know, I don't believe so. Um, you know, I, I like to think that nature has it right. And so as much right. as possible, I try to go back to nature. Now I'm not anti-doctor. My brother's an MD. You know, I'm not anti-doctor at all. And if I'm low on iodine or, well, iodine or anything, let's say I'm low on iron, you know, I think there's probably a place for iron supplements um, when you are extremely low. Now, if I can also take a supplement in the short term and then in the long term, go out of my way to eat more foods that are rich in iron, personally, I think that's a better approach than just, you know, going to iodine supplements or iron supplements. And I think iodine is the same way. So there are some great foods that are rich in iodine. And salt was never meant to be a source of iodine any more than salt was meant to be a source of, of good, clean fat. It's just, it's just not been a source of it. But the reason that we all today associate iodine with salt is because of the goiter belt that you mentioned. So if we went, we wound years ago, uh, World War I. And in World War I, the draft is instituted and the U.S. military is trying to draft men out of the Midwest well, across the country, but in the Midwest particularly, there was a goiter problem. And you can't draft somebody to the military if they've got a big goiter, which is uh, a big lump in the throat, which is linked to iodine deficiency. And so they got together and said, how do we encourage the U.S. population, particularly those in the Midwest, to eat more iodine? And I would like to think somebody said, well, let's have a, a campaign you know, on the importance of eating kelp and seaweed and fish and, and foods <laughs> yeah, that are rich in iodine. <laughs> well, that would have been great, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that happened, but what it ended up with is, 
they found that they could take iodine or potassium iodide, which is one form of iodine, and they could add it to salt and it was quite shelf stable. They had to add some other chemicals to it. And that's why you'll see things like dextrose added to salt is because of the iodine and some of the other um, stabilizers that they put in, um, some of the anti-cakenates they put in to salt to, to make it more shelf stable and so it doesn't turn a funny color. And so by adding iodine to salt, they, in effect, forced people to eat more iodine. And it actually worked. Unfortunately, iodine is not, or potassium iodide added to salt is not the best form for your body to absorb the iodine. In fact, there's been some follow-up studies that show that less than 10% of the iodine that's added to salt is bioavailable. Um, and so I think there's just a lot better sources of iodine. And at the end of the day, probably most of your listeners are iodine deficient because of, of several factors. And so everybody, men and women, should be going out of their way to find foods rich in iodine and maybe yeah. even supplementing with it. Absolutely. Um, a lot of people, though, and I'll just, I've said it before on many podcasts, but, you know, people have a thyroid problem. They see that iodine is related. So they go out and get like the strongest form of like Lugol's iodine, you know, and they're, they're taking it every day. And then you can have some detox problems and some issues that it, it can really mess with you. So, yes, going for the food sources. And if you have to supplement, then starting somewhere like really low, talk with your doctor, but somewhere like if you're going to do, you know, I thyroid at like 6.2 milligrams, maybe, or micrograms, um, no, sorry, 6.2 milligrams. Um, and, you know, do it a couple of days a week, or, you know, you can like, for example, I'm a swimmer. So whenever I go swim in a chlorinated pool, I will take iodine that morning, um, to sort of offset some of the potential <laughs> effects of the chlorine trying to do my best. Um, I wanted to talk about actually one of your products that was and it's not, this sounds really crazy to say this, but was really life changing for me and my family because for years, and if you're out there and you love steaks, like I'm from downtown Chicago. And if anyone's listening, like for years, sort of one of the best salts you could use for burgers, for steaks, for everything that does, that isn't extra offensive and crazy flavorful, but just brings out the steak was Lowry's seasoned salt, you know? And but, you know, over the years, you look at the stuff, it's got filler, it's got cornstarch, it has sunflower oil, and you're like, damn it. And you guys came out with a seasoned salt that is better than Lowry's, but that same essence. And my family was still using Lowry's on all of their shit. And I was like, you guys have, so finally I bought them like a huge, like one of the huge sizes that you guys have of the seasoned salt and they love it. And they're so happy about it. And I'm like, yeah. And you, now you're not sprinkling cornstarch and sunflower oil and tricalcium phosphate or whatever the hell is on here. And then I look at the ingredients of yours and it's literally just like real salt, real onion, organic, this organic pepper. There's no junk in there. And so I then was like completely sold. I love your unsalt, your garlic salt. Um, I use them daily. Uh, and I also use your toothpaste. I mean, like your products are so amazing aside from your salts, which anyone can go look up and, and see what you guys have. Um, and I do think you have like the best onion, garlic and uh, seasoned salt on the planet. Tell us about the other products. Cause you guys have some like toothpaste and some facial muds and like some other interesting things that come from where you're mining the salt. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have a lot of great ones. If, if I could just take one second and uh, talk a little bit about, you said you brought up seasoning, why the seasoning tastes so much better. And then I'll jump into the other ones. If that's sure, okay. sure. So yeah. what's interesting, salt is supposed to be a flavor booster. Uh, salt 
when it's not been processed, has a very sweet and boosting salt flavor. When you have a processed salt and then you have spices and seasonings that are either old or don't have as much flavor, then a lot of salt companies will start adding flavor enhancers to their seasoning salt to, to make it taste even better or they'll add sugar. But when you get back to a good, clean, natural salt, like real salt, then you can add just clean, freeze-dried garlic or onion or coriander, paprika, and, and the flavor burst is amazing like, without all of those fillers that you mentioned. And so, yeah, and also they do have sugar. You're right. Lowry's does also have sugar in it. Um, and you guys are just devoid of that stuff. And it's, it's so much better. Well, and, and one of the reasons that we think it is, or we believe it is, is you know, when we talked about salt, I said there's two main processes that a lot of salt companies will do. And the first one is that demineralization. So you can have a, a good, clean, you know, natural salt from the ocean, but then you can manipulate some of those other chlorides by taking some of those out. The bigger problem, in my opinion, is the additives. And when it comes to salt, these additives can really impact the flavor and then also can have some impact on the body. And these other additives that are typically added are called anti-caking agents. So salt in nature is hygroscopic, means it sucks water out of the air. Because of that, salt tends to clump because it's pulling in moisture. Well, salt's role in the body is to balance the intercellular and extracellular fluids. I mean, salt's job is to interact with moisture, but it also makes the salt clump in your shaker. And so salt companies realized that they could take a salt crystal and they could coat it with a series of different chemicals that stops the salt crystal's ability to draw in moisture, which makes it not stick in your shaker. It sounded like a great idea at the time. The problem is these chemicals that are added are things like yellow preciative soda, which is sodium ferrocyanide or calcium silicoaluminate. And these are anti-moisture, anti-caking chemicals that a lot of salts today are coated with. And, and, and it does stop the salt from attracting moisture, but in our bodies, that's salt's job. And so not only does it impact the way the salt interacts with the body, but it also impacts the flavor. And so instead of salt having this sweet, robust flavor that boosts nuances in foods, we get this bitter chemical version of salt that we think is is too salty and bitter and, and it masks the beauty of, of food. So salt's a really amazing thing that I wanted to cover. And then we can jump into the other fun products. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a great explanation. Um, yeah. I mean, I've got your earth paste toothpaste right here. <laughs> I have your relight electrolyte mix drink as well. Um, you just have so many great products. Let's talk about some of them. I love the toothpaste. I think it's amazing. So toothpaste is really fun. So I mentioned we have this bentonite clay product uh, that's right there. And you can't really get more, you know, paleo or primal than salt and mud. And so that's the basis of this toothpaste. And so this particular type of clay, there's seven different kinds of clay. And this one particular type of clay is called a semictite clay. And it's known as a bentonite or montmorillonite. And one of the advantages of this particular clay is it's quite drying. And so it, it is great for facials. I mean, every, you know, diva and, um, you know, every spa in the world uses clay facials because of the way it dries and pulls and lifts out impurities from the skin. Um, you know, if you go back and you look at our, you know, and talk to your great, great grandmother about a bee sting, she might tell you to put mud on it because as the mud dries, it draws and, and pulls, increases local circulation. 
And they knew that from watching the animals. You know, if an elephant gets hurt, it doesn't run to the vet. It runs to the mud and it rolls in the mud and the mud draws out the thorns and the thistles and, and helps heal the wounds, which is why animals in nature always go to mud. And so we have clay, this, this bentonite clay that we make facials with, and that base is the same as our toothpaste. A couple of the cool things about the toothpaste, though, is one, it's super clean. There's no foaming agents, which, you know, you know, some people have issues with mouth sores and there's no, you know, artificial colors and flavors and things like that added. But clay is a great base for toothpaste because one, it's a great polisher, so it can help lift off surface stains and uh, and remove, you know, some of that buildup and biofilms. And two, the clay is quite alkaline. So the clay is about the pH of 8.5 to, to 9.2. So it's pretty alkaline. And in our mouth, the Staphylococcus mutans, which are the bacteria in our mouth, they digest sugars. If we've eaten sugars or if we've eaten something acidic, um, our teeth will start to dissolve because of the lactic acid created by these little bacteria in our mouth. And so the reason that you have baking soda toothpaste or the reason why this you know, earth paste is such a great product is because the clay is alkaline and it boosts the alkalinity of your mouth back up so you're not dealing with the acid erosion as long as you would without something that's alkaline. Tell us a little bit about Relight. So I used to give presentations years ago to, to mom groups and to sports teams and to high schools and colleges and we talk about the importance of salt. And a lot of people know the story of the product called Gatorade. It was created to aid the Florida Gators because it's a, a, an athletic team in Florida. They're out running in the hot Florida sun and they're struggling with dehydration, even though they're drinking tons of water. And it's because our sweat is salt, our urine is salt, our tears are salt. And so we have to be replacing those lost salts. In fact, we will lose up to 1500 milligrams of sodium during an hour workout. I mean, we are processing and burning through salt. And if we just drink water, we're going to end up with some hyponatremia, which is low sodium. And so because of that, the football team created this product to aid the Florida Gators. And they took salt and water and added some sugar and some food coloring and some artificial other stuff and created this product, which is a great sports drink or was thought to be a great sports drink. But today you can create your own sports drink for pennies on the dollar. Take a good clean quart of, of spring water or filtered water, add a quarter teaspoon of real salt to it, add a squeeze of lemon, a little bit of honey if you like, and you've got a great sports drink. Well, as we know, with our active lifestyle, even that becomes sometimes a challenge. So we've created a product called Relite. It's to boost the electrolytes or to re-electrolyte your body. And so it's got the, the real salt as a base, which is the sodium chloride. And then it also has some added potassium, some added magnesium, some added coconut water powder. And so it's this great blend of electrolytes that you can use before, during, or after a workout to help replace those electrolytes. And whether you're an athlete or you're a roofer or you're a firefighter or you're just an active parent, we are burning through electrolytes all of the time. And this was just a, an easy way that people can put a scoop of it in a water bottle or they can take a little stick pack and, and dump it in their water bottle and get a great boost of electrolytes instead of having to, you know, go down and, and try to find some salt and some, you know, honey and, and uh, lemon or whatever you want to flavor it with. Yeah, you actually have lots of really great flavors. You've got like pina colada, watermelon lime. Like there's so many good 
And you also, I mean, people, if they want salt in bulk can get it from you as well. Um, what else? What are, what else am I, am I missing? I feel like I have all your products and use them. I mentioned them all because I love them so much. Um, oh, uh, you well, actually on the toothpaste thing, interesting, you have it in a tube that's earth paste and then you have earth powder. Um, and that's just sort of interesting. You sort of like dip your toothbrush into this, this jar of powder. Tell us why the difference, why those two options? Yeah. So some people just like tooth powders. And if you go outside of the U.S., tooth powder is actually quite a bit more common than here in the U.S. So Canada and Europe use tooth powders a, a bit more than, than in the U.S. A couple of nice things about the tooth powder. If you're traveling, it's not a liquid or a gel. Assuming <laughs> COVID ends and we can all travel again. Um, but it's not a liquid. It's not a gel. So it's easy to travel with. If you're camping, backpacking, it's just really easy to, to use that way. And then tooth powder itself does have a little bit different experience. And there's some good uh, peer-reviewed articles that show that a tooth powder is actually a little bit better on, on plaque and on surface stains than, than a toothpaste. And the reason for that is it's dry. And so if you're brushing with earth paste or a regular toothpaste, it's already prehydrated. So in a lot of commercial toothpaste, you might have baking soda added, you might have hydrated silica, which is uh, a light, uh, basically sand material to help as a polisher to break down the biofilms and clean off the surface stains. And in clay, it works um, pretty similar to that. And it already has its moisture with it. So if it's a toothpaste, you, you have a, a, a creamy paste. If you start with a powder though, it starts and goes on dry. And so it's a little more abrasive dry and it's actually absorbing water. And so it's sucking saliva, it's sucking, you know, bits and things that are in our gums. And so a lot of people, even that are fans of earth paste, when they try tooth powder or earth powder, as we call it, they notice that their mouth feels even more clean. One mm. of the things that we hear all the time is how clean people's mouth feel with earth paste. And it's yes. because they're not getting that slimy film from the you know, the foaming agents and the other stuff that's in a lot of toothpaste. And so the mouth feels super clean and with tooth powder, it even feels more clean. Yeah. It's amazing. Wow. Uh, everybody can go to redmond.life. That's your website, right? And check out all the stuff we've, we've spoken about. Um, let's talk about what are, give us some salt resource books. I, I thought James Nicolant, D. Nicolantini's The Salt Fix was a great book. I know he's, recommended your salt to me. What are some other resources on salt if people have people in their family that are, you know, resistant to understanding this or have the high blood pressure and it's not from salt, you know, because they're getting the wrong message. What what do you what do you like? I think Dr. James D. Nicol Antonio's book, The Salt Fix, is an excellent place to start. I'm also a big fan of a book called Your Body's Many Cries for Water. And it goes mm. back there's a, a Dr. Batman Gelly who wrote this book, and then he wrote a follow-up book called You're Not Sick, You're Thirsty, and talked about oftentimes when we have a headache or we maybe feel a little nauseous, our bodies aren't low on ibuprofen or on Tylenol. You know, oftentimes our body's cravings are telling us something. And so oftentimes if you feel a headache coming on, it's oftentimes, you know, because water and salt is such an important part of our brain and our, our entire body. I mean, we're or 70% water, right? Um, and so we need to replace that. So what I tell people, and this is coming from Dr. James D. Nicol Antonio and from Dr. Batman Gelly and from another doctor in the Midwest uh, whose book is called 
Salt Your Way to Health. It's Dr. David Brownstein. And they talk about on that first sign of a headache, rather than going and grabbing you know, the medicine cabinet, take a big glass of water and a quarter teaspoon of salt and start with that. And oftentimes they have found in their practices that actually makes a big difference. And oftentimes we are um, dehydrated and not only we low on, on water and salt, but oftentimes when we think we're having a sugar craving, our bodies are actually craving salt. Mm. And when we think we're having a food craving, oftentimes we're actually craving salt because in terms of importance, we have oxygen and then we have water and then we have salt. And eventually you get down to food, but food isn't near as important as oxygen or air that we breathe and then water and then salt in that order. And so what I like to do is I have a little bowl of salt on my kitchen table with the coarse salt crystals. They're about the size of a peppercorn. And as you walk past, if you just put a piece of salt on your tongue, you'll notice oftentimes it tastes quite sweet, that very first piece you taste, because our bodies throughout the day, we're sweating, we're perspiring, and we're urinating, we're losing salt. And when salt tastes really sweet, if it's a natural salt, if you take two or three pieces, as your salt levels come up, that salt starts to taste a lot more salty and less, less pleasant. Same thing with water. I mean, if we're low on water, we know that we get thirsty, and that's our body's say way of telling us to drink water. But we've come a little numb to knowing if we're craving salt. Sometimes when we think we're craving potato chips or we're craving, you know, some processed food, our body's really craving salt. And if we just go right to the salt instead of right to the French fries, we'll find that not only do we start eating a little better, but we probably feel a little better too. Absolutely. So fascinating. And I'm so, uh, so glad that your company makes these incredible products. I mean, really, it's a part of my life every day. I use one of your salts um, and one of your products. Anything else you'd like to leave our audience with before we wrap up? No, I think that that's it. Um, If anybody has some other questions, I think those are some great books on salt. There's also a really fun book called Salt, A World History. And it kind of goes over the history of, of how salt has been used since, you know, since the dawn of time. And that's a really fun one. And then, you know, if you want to connect with us, we're on social media and we'd love to hear from anybody who has had experiences with some of our products and, uh, and really appreciate you taking the time to visit with me today, Elle. No, oh, thanks so much for coming on. And we will put everything to link with uh, Redmond Life Real Salt in uh, the show notes. And uh, again, redmond.life is the main website. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Al. Primal Blueprint listeners don't compromise on pantry classics. Whether you're going keto, paleo, in the middle of a whole 30 month, or adding to your Primal approved arsenal, Primal Kitchen has a full range of mayo, ketchup, dressings, and oils that add flavor and variety to any meal without ever compromising on ingredient quality. From avocado oil-based mayos bursting with flavors like kicky chipotle lime, creamy classic, zesty garlic aioli, or savory pesto, to unsweetened ketchups and organic mustards, there's a condiment to complement every taste bud. Be sure to stock up on Primal Kitchen avocado oil, extra virgin olive oil, and new balsamic vinegar of Modena to add ease and great flavor to any dish, whether you're grilling, baking, broiling, braising, sauteing, or stir-frying. Primal Blueprint listeners can get their favorites 20% off when they use the code PRIMALBLUEPRINT at checkout.